winding down. They're just getting started. This is South Coast Tonight with Chris McCarthy and Marcus Farrow. They've got you covered on all the news of the day. From local issues to politics on both sides of the aisle. This is the place where the movers and shakers come to be heard. To listen. And where they're held accountable. This is South Coast Tonight on WBSM. We're back. This is uh, not Chris and Marcus. This is Jack Spillane from New Bedford Light filling in for South Coast Tonight tonight. And um, I'm lucky enough for the second hour to have as my guest uh, longtime state rep Bill Strauss of Mattapoisett. Welcome, Bill. Uh, thanks, Jack. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, it's gracious of you to come on, especially uh, with a novice like me who doesn't quite know what he's doing, but uh, I'll well, do the no, best I you're can. You're no novice, Jack. <laughs> you know what you're doing. <laughs> well, on radio, uh, maybe not so much. Uh, Bill, uh, uh, I don't know if your ears were burning a little bit the last hour because um, Farmer Mayor Lang was on and he wanted to give you a, a well-deserved um, congratulation on the... Um, uh, oh, I didn't, I didn't get to listen, so you, you may have to share again for your... For me and your audience, okay. uh, what did Scott say? So he, w he was just uh, congratulating you and the delegation for all the work that has been done over the many decades on, on commuter rail uh, with the opening of the Freetown Station um, a week or so ago. And it really has been a, a long journey with a, a lot of uh, second-guessing and, and criticism, the, the conventional wisdom that it would never happen, and um, you did it. And uh, uh, some well-deserved uh, bows uh, should be taken, and so um, Scott was 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 given your propers. Well, that was very kind of him, and and certainly, um, you know, I will say I had a role, uh, and and certainly my colleagues did. But I, I I have to be candid here. In the end, and I I said this in in my remarks a week and a half ago when we were at the the new station in Freetown on the uh, what is to become the Fall River Line, we really have to acknowledge, uh, party differences aside, that this happened because of Charlie Baker. Uh, and I don't mind saying so. Uh, he first ran for governor as an opponent of South Coast Rail when he ran again four years later successfully. Uh, for whatever reason, whatever motivation, he had become a proponent and a supporter of South Coast Rail, and uh, he gave his word uh, when he was running for governor uh, that time when when he was elected in 2014. He gave his word, and, and then he kept his word. And uh, what it means to me is that uh, for all the good work we've done, uh, and, and I count myself uh, clearly as a supporter, without Charlie Baker, uh, I'll be honest, I don't think it would have happened. Uh, that's very interesting because, as we know, other governors uh, came and, and said they were they were going to do it. Governor Deval Patrick, um, uh, certainly uh, Bill Weld uh, uh, promised it. Uh, but in the end, uh, through all the different governors we've had, Mitt Romney, uh, uh, Charlie Baker was the one who got it done. He did, and, and I'll tell you, he... He did it because, and, and I had many meetings with him, and it's been certainly covered in the press. He had the ceremonial governor's office and then the uh, 
the actual working office, the small room where he really did his work, and he had a a, a whiteboard with colored markers, and, and he would really get into the details. And I was, uh, uh, you know, fortunate enough, given my role, to, to sit there with him many times. And he made a critical decision that, I'll be honest, we had people who supported South Coast Rail, even in our own region, uh, who who uh, did not agree with him that this uh, route decision where the construction actually occurred was the right thing. And he could have easily, uh, because I, I watched this process over you know, 25 years, he could have easily said, well, we've got some complicated permitting issues or environmental issues involving the Hockamock Swamp. Certainly Senator Pacheco from Taunton thought that that was the one route and the only route. And and, um, in the end, he opposed Charlie Baker's uh, decision to build it as it's now been completed. I I pull no punches tonight. Um, But Charlie Baker made a tough decision, and uh, and uh, again, we did not have unanimous support for the decision he made to go this uh, route of extending the existing uh, Lakeville Middleborough line yes, down to myself, city. To, to be perfectly honest. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Um, but what it did do, and and uh, and that's why I give him great credit, is he committed over uh, just over a billion dollars to saying, look. These people get service. And if we had kept on the route of no, 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 it's got to be the best route imaginable, even if it's through the Hockamock Swamp and uh, Taunton should get two stations instead of one, we'd have no train today. We'd have no train 10 years from now. And I have to say, I'm not sure we ever would have. So that's why uh, I have no hesitation in saying that uh, Baker, and I didn't agree with him on everything he did as governor, but on this one, this is his legacy. What What is the cliche, uh, uh, Bill, uh, don't let the perfect be the enemy of the good? Uh, uh, I think it, that it, this yeah. was the out of compromise. Uh, that's exactly right. And, uh, and again, uh, I've been joked recently with uh, some of the people in his administration uh, that... Uh, there were people in the room in his administration who said, look, you can keep going with permitting. You don't really have to build this. Uh, and and that's what, uh, f- for whatever motive, sincere or cynical, uh, we had prior governors who would say, let's throw some money into design and permitting, and we'll never really get to the crunch decision when we have to spend real money. Uh, so Baker did it. And uh, and uh, I'll, I'll uh, always acknowledge that. When did you realize that he was not going to take that route of, of throwing more money into design or, or, or building this little part of it, but not others? When did you realize he was really going to go all the way? It, it happened in one of those meetings I described in his office. And he literally, uh, and I've, I've mentioned this meeting uh, publicly before, he was there with his black and red and blue markers, and he was drawing uh, the route of the uh, the rail line and, and uh, 
coming down from Brockton to Lakeville, Middleborough, head west to Taunton and south to, if you imagine, I call it a wishbone, uh, down to Fall River and down to New Bedford. And he was drawing stations on the board and he was in a way more familiar in that meeting that he and I had in his room, in his office, uh, than any governor uh, I had ever seen before over the years working on this. And I could tell uh, he was striving for a way to get this done because he really sincerely felt it was uh, something he had promised and, and we could do it. Amazing. And, and this was a guy, I, I remember his first campaign for governor where he told me that what the South Coast really needed was better community colleges in North South Coast Rail and, and to put some money into its port infrastructure, which are all true, but he, he was he was not a fan. Well, and, and we had, um, frankly, uh, elected officials down here. I don't know if they'll say it too loudly these days, but echoed that same approach, which was, why spend the money on South Coast Rail? Why don't you just give us the money and spend it on development issues uh, down here, and we'll keep working on our economy in, in the South Coast, and, and we'll do without South Coast Rail. Uh, and, um, and, and so there were plenty of people who, who urged that approach, but uh, uh, that did not prevail. Uh, now, let me go back to the original issue. Why South Coast Rail? Well, there's the obvious equity issue uh, in terms of the last major region of the state that needs to have restored its uh, uh, transit rail connection. Uh, but it has real benefits in terms of uh, providing uh, a population with a connection into Boston it's uh, an economic advantage to our region. And I do say, and people should realize, that a lot of the people in the coming years who will be riding that train to Boston, whether from New Bedford or from Fall River or from the stations in between, uh, they may not live in our region yet. So uh, there will be new residents of the South Coast who will ride that train. Uh, but uh, the fact that they're here uh, connecting to the economy in Boston uh, will be of, uh, uh, I believe, benefit to our region. Yeah, I, I think it's going to change the way we think of ourselves and our relationship to Boston. I think it will change the mindset of, of old people and new people both. Do you feel confident that the um, New Bedford station will be done in time for the trains to run here at the end of next year? Uh, they're assuring me that way. In fact, I had a briefing with uh, the general manager of the T, Steve Poftak, uh, I think it was about three weeks ago. And uh, what he assures me is in the case of uh, both the North Bay Station uh, and, and downtown is that uh, the, the footings and the, you know, what you can imagine as the foundation work is progressing properly and that that is the um the uh, what is the more time-consuming part of the construction and then all of a sudden the station will be there in the case of the new bedford station unfortunately uh the state's contractors were delayed this summer in getting access for 
staging construction prep purposes um, by some uh, delayed understandings with the city government about using the parking lot to uh, get their construction equipment in place. But they remain on schedule. And in fact, just today, uh, the MassDOT board awarded the construction contract for the pedestrian bridge over Route 18, uh, which will, if you can picture in your mind's eye, there'll be this uh, great uh, pedestrian uh, overpass uh, to be built right to the station, but from essentially the bottom of Klasky Common. And uh, I expect great things for, for that part of the city in terms of the people that will want to live there. Uh, it is at present, but just for two more weeks, part of my current district uh, precinct in New Bedford, it will um, uh, become uh, Chris's uh, uh, precinct, my district precincts now because of redistricting moved to the north end. But um, that part of the city... <clears throat> excuse me, uh, that part of the city is going to see uh, quite uh, an influx of people and, and activity. And uh, I think uh, people should really um, uh, prepare themselves for uh, great things in the, in the city. That's um, State Representative Chris Hendricks' district uh, that, that, that Bill was yeah. just referring to. Um, he's in the north end now, but he'll be coming down more into what they call the minority-majority district. And Bill and, and, and State Rep. Paul Schmid will be going, and State Rep. Chris Markey from Dartmouth will be going to the far north end, what we call the further north the north end. Um, uh, it's, it's interesting. Uh, do they have a design for that pedestrian bridge? I'm, I'm always interested in design yes. issues for the city uh, of New Bedford. And... Um, not that I need to promote Facebook, but um, I, I'd say about a month ago, I posted uh, some of the, um, uh, the design images uh, that have uh, uh, been completed for that pedestrian bridge over Route 18. And um, uh, maybe you could contact me if, if, if you don't come across that later, and I'll, I'll send you those PDFs. But um, it'll be quite a dramatic frankly, wow. uh, entrance design for people coming into the city down Route 18. Uh, it's, um, and, and, and I say it's designed so that given where that downtown station is, um, certainly people will drive there. But part of the idea here is that the uh, uh, commuter rail is, is transportation alternative, but we want to provide other ways in which people can get to the station. So from uh, uh, essentially, as I say, Klasky Common area, people will be able to walk down to the station itself. Uh, I do have uh, something in mind in terms of those that are coming over from Fairhaven who will be uh, commuting to uh, someday be able to just uh, get to the station by bicycle as well. Uh, because again, we're looking for transportation alternatives all the time, uh, and that uh, dovetails nicely with our, our climate goals as well. All right, great. Well, if there was a, a, a nice celebration this year for the opening of the Freetown station, I can't even imagine what it will be like at the end of next year um, if they're able to open that new Bedford station at that time. It will be a celebration like I, I don't think we've seen in quite some time. 
I would think so. Uh, and so that would be uh, not just that downtown station, but up the uh, uh, north is the Church Street station, which frankly is probably two blocks from the current precincts uh, or the, the precincts I uh, just got reelected in, in, in Ward 1. So, uh, so frankly, I've got uh, two stations uh, within a stone's throw uh, of my district, and and, uh, and and clearly I've heard over the years how many people want this option. And, and again, what people have to understand is whether you're a person who rides the, uh, the new station, the new train or not, um, the economic activity of people living here, uh, commuting from here, uh, they'll be spending money here. There's just a, a vibrance that adds to the community, whether you're an actual commuter or not. All right. So um, I've got to go to some commercials here, Bill, and I'm going to put you on hold for just a bit. And in a few minutes, we'll come back and talk about some interesting um, things that you've uh, discovered about early voting and absentee sure. voting in Massachusetts. You don't know what you've got till it's gone. It pays paradise, put up a parking lot. All right, I'm back with State Rep Bill Strauss of Mattapoisett, a uh, longtime state rep who is um, the longtime co chair of the Transportation Committee, uh, one of the guys most involved in bringing South Coast Rail to um, the South Coast, and we talked about that, but the reason that I wanted to invite Bill on tonight was uh, to talk about um, some results that, that you've encountered um, uh, in Marion, I guess, uh, about um, in your state rep race, about how people voted uh, in this year's election that mimics what's been going on in the national scene. Sure. And, uh, and I did check. Uh, actually, I, I got some um, Dartmouth precinct numbers from Chris Markey uh, earlier today when I talked to him, and uh, so um, what uh, what it reflects is something that uh, many of your listeners, uh, I'm sure, are familiar with now, which is uh, around the country, but it's happened here too, a tendency of um, uh, Republican-leaning voters. So, and by that I mean not just register Republicans, but those who support Republican candidates to uh, defer voting until election day itself. And, and I think it's been well covered. Uh, this is a change, frankly, that uh, from what I've seen uh, from years, for many years, which is that uh, Republicans used to be the champions of absentee voting. That is casting a ballot ahead of time just to get it uh, in the bank, if you will. Uh, and it all comes, uh, again, I don't think there's any question from uh, the uh, the efforts of Donald Trump to suggest that there's something wrong with uh, early voting and absentee voting. And we see it in the results that that view, and I, I think it's a mistaken one, but I'll, I'll leave it to Republicans to form their own strategies for uh, general elections, it's a view that uh, somehow 
the only true vote is the one that's cast on election day. So I'll just give you a couple of examples and, and not just my races. So town of Marion, the, uh, a lot of the towns kept track of how the votes came in in terms of results based on uh, the ballots that came in either mailed in what we know as absentee ballots or the early voting where uh, on uh, several dates, and this is around the country, but here too, uh, people could just walk into the clerk's office and, and cast a ballot ahead of time. If uh, November 8th in, in this year's example wasn't convenient. And so what happened, and I'll give you actually the governor's race, uh, and uh, in in uh, in Marion, um, uh, Jeff Deal running as the Republican candidate for uh, for governor uh, got only among those early votes twenty five percent of the vote. Moore Healy seventy five percent. But among those who cast ballots on election day on November eighth itself. Uh, Jeff Deal did much better, even better than he did uh, in his final totals or statewide. He got uh, 46% of the vote. Uh, he didn't win, but all of a sudden it was competitive. And I had this anecdotally from uh, one of the clerks in the area where uh, people came in uh, who um, uh, identified themselves as you know wanting to vote uh, and... Um, and and they were of a view that uh, the ballots just don't get counted unless they're counted on election day. And again, that all comes from Donald Trump. I mean, everyone knows that. Uh, and and let me just give you one more example from one of the precincts in Dartmouth in the Tom Hodson race, uh, precinct one in Dartmouth. And I must confess, I I don't know what part of Dartmouth that is, but these early votes those who came in before election day to vote, those who mailed in ballots in the sheriff's race for Bristol County. Uh, Haru won that precinct 302 to 191. So that's three to two ratio. But on the election day itself, Tom Hudson won that precinct 699 to 329, uh, better than two to one which meant that the Republicans truly were, as it was reported around the country, waiting to vote until Election Day. So the key question is, other than just, you know, wow, that's an interesting number, what does this mean? And I think there's been reporting around the country, but we see it must have happened here, too, that um, Republicans are hurting themselves. Now, they don't need, they probably don't want uh, my advice, but if they tell their voters, wait until the last possible day to vote and let the Democratic-inclined voters um, vote for weeks ahead of time. That's going to affect the results, and clearly we know it does. Republicans, and, and no one needs me to say this, um, uh, apart from positions on issues, but just if you're going to uh, on the process of conducting elections, tell your voters, wait until the last day possible to vote. You might have weather issues. People may have something that comes up. They're just hurting themselves. Uh, and uh, if I was being 
kind of a wise guy, I would say, keep up the policy. Uh, but clearly I've seen enough reports that even at the Republican National Committee level, it's dawned on them that uh, the, the Donald Trump-inspired antipathy to uh, casting votes ahead of time uh, isn't serving uh, their, their candidates well. Uh, and, um, but clearly the numbers here reflect that. Uh, in in my case, in, in the town of Marion, my race, uh, uh, where I was obviously uh, successful, um, I, uh, I beat my opponent in the early votes, 723 to 224. It's really in, a, you know, quite a margin in any general election. But then on election day itself, I still won, of course, but... Uh, I, I won 981 to 766 in Marion. Closer. Yeah. I'm just, what I'm just it meant thinking. was that Republicans, even in the town of Marion, somehow got the, uh, the bad word that they weren't supposed to vote until election day itself while those who were inclined to, uh, the lean toward Democratic Party, uh, candidates were voting for weeks ahead of time. Yeah, I'm, I'm just so, looking at this um, uh, spreadsheet that you sent me from the town of Marion, yeah. the governor's race, yeah. and the early yeah. voting, Deal and Allen, 235, lost to Healy and Driscoll, 714. But in the final uh, election day, uh, Deal and Allen got 803 and were only narrowly beated by Healy and Driscoll to 942. And you just have yeah. to think that there are some people, when they wait to the last minute, something comes up, like you said, and they, they can't vote. Right, right. So if you're um, engaged in the, the process of politics, you'd look at that and say, well, this is really a bad idea. So um, you and I had scheduled this. So I, I kind of, you know, did some checking in. And I did see even in my own district, uh, I saw a comment by um, someone on Facebook who identified themselves as a Republican supporter who promoted the theory wrong as it is, but the theory that uh, votes prior to election day are unconstitutional under the United States Constitution. There is no such provision, of course, that says that, but that's how deeply ingrained this misinformation is, that there's something wrong with uh, voting prior to election day. And and let me explain, because I'll give you an example about why that's... uh, such a mistaken uh, theory and understanding of voting in the United States Constitution. Um, What the person said was, uh, it has to be unconstitutional to allow votes to be cast uh, because it doesn't give candidates the full time period that they otherwise would be allotted to make their case to the voters, speeches, literature, whatever prior to election day. So you have to have a full election season. Otherwise, it's an unconstitutional election. Well, that's a notion no court has ever accepted. But remember this. Um, We have a separate federal law that requires uh, ballot opportunities for uh, those serving in, in military service all around the world. And and they have to be given as they should. Uh, as uh, registered voting citizens, even though they're overseas defending us as members of the military, 
a chance to participate in elections. So if this person who posted this was correct, it would be unconstitutional to have somebody cast a ballot prior to election day. You'd be disenfranchising uh, uh, active duty military members. And I'm sure when you think this through, you realize then, okay, well, then uh, it can't be true. Of course, we want these people uh, who are on the front lines uh, to be able to cast timely ballots to be counted uh, toward the election of candidates. But I offer that as an example of something expressed locally. I, I saw the posting on Facebook, but so off track in terms of how we uh, provide for as many people as possible to vote. We want people to vote, and that's why we have uh, early voting. That's why we have absentee ballots and, and of course, Election Day itself, so that uh, the elections become more valid in a sense. The candidates uh, who uh, are successful in being uh, chosen to hold public office are that much more imbued uh, uh, in, in, in with the uh, expression of consent of the public because we have as many people voting as possible. So uh, that's why uh, the trend has been all around the country yeah. to uh, promote voting, uh, not just on election day, but to allow people to get those, those votes in, regardless of uh, who their favorite candidate is. I'm going to have to go to seeing. some commercials shortly, but uh, I, oh, I also, okay. before I, before I yeah. do, I just want to point out that um, Republicans used to be very good at early voting and absentee voting. And in many of the Western states, um, I think Oregon is completely mail-in voting. And so this is, yes, is. not something yes, that was done for years and that Republicans were actually, am I, correct me if I'm wrong, what was thought to be a little bit better at than Democrats for, for a they while. They were the champions. I, I had an opponent, um, uh, years ago, um, nice guy, great guy, uh, frankly, uh, John Holland from Fairhaven. And when he ran against me as a Republican for state rep, he sent out a mailing that included a tear-off postcard to get your absentee ballot mailed to you by the town clerk. Uh, and so it used to be just basic Republican campaign practice to promote early voting. And uh, I, I suppose as a partisan, I'd say, uh, if they're um, playing a losing hand, why would I want to discourage them? But frankly, I don't think it's good for uh, uh, voting and democracy uh, if either party is, is in some way uh, discouraging uh, voting from occurring. So uh, I think we're better when more people vote. Exactly. There you have it, folks. An incumbent Democrat saying that it's better if more Republicans vote. And I agree with him. And I'm a progressive, too. We're going to go to a break now. Uh, Bill, if you can hang on for one more segment, I'd like to talk to you about the Fairhaven Bridge. Sure. Okay, sure. great. Fourteen twenty WBSM, New Bedford's News Talk Station. Hey, Lynn. They know the local issues from the inside out, and they call it like they see it. Chris McCarthy and Marcus Farrow are back with more South Coast Tonight on WBSM. 
Okay, I'm back. This is uh, Jack Spillane. It's not Chris McCarthy and Marcus Farrow. They're um, at the WBSM holiday party tonight celebrating uh, their successful year. And I've been joined with uh, State Rep Bill Strauss for this hour, former Mayor Scott Lang for the previous hour, and it'll be the callers for the next hour. And um, Bill, uh, I apologize for having to make you listen to all those commercials, but I did want... No, no, it's fine. <laughs> yeah, I did want to devote this final segment to, um, and it's about five minutes long, so keep that in mind, uh, to okay. the um, New Fairhaven Bridge, uh, which yes. uh, we, that has also, um, similar to commuter rail, been talked about and talked about for years. But finally, we had some movement um, this year, and a few weeks ago we had the announcement that there was um, a design study awarded. Uh, tell us about that. Sure. Uh, so uh, this is one of those situations where um, I don't mind indicating that uh, because of the, the, the role I have uh, at the legislative level uh, as the House co-chair of the Transportation Committee, um, I do have the ability at times to uh, bring to MassDOT's uh, Department of Transportation's attention projects that maybe wouldn't get the same emphasis. So I've worked very hard on uh, this bridge replacement project. There are bridges all over the state that cry out for uh, replacement and rebuilding. Uh, but in this case, uh, we know well uh, locally uh, the dramatic impact in a bad way that uh, a, a older bridge that functions slower, and we've all endured this, uh, has on the economy. And 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 this is not just a, a road-related bridge, but as, as we know, but it's worth pointing out, uh, this is a bridge that affects uh, marine commerce as well. Uh, and because of uh, a bridge design and a bridge that is now uh, just over 120 years old, with that uh, drum girder where the bridge rotates in the center of the channel, uh, the width, the navigable width of the channel is also impaired. So the uh, even though big ships get through, it's it's uh, it's not an easy task. Uh, there's hardly any clearance on either side of the vessels as they go through. So. If we have a, a replacement bridge, we pick up a full channel width uh, in terms of the size of the vessels, not to mention the safety of the transit itself. Uh, and uh, and we get a bridge that um, uh, is not uh, broken down for periods of time. I do not want to overpromise on this that all of a sudden people will see uh, with a new bridge uh, when it's completed uh, remarkably or dramatically reduced uh, opening times uh, just because of the size of the channel. Uh, whatever design is, is chosen, whether it's what we uh, tend to call a drawbridge or uh, what is described as a vertical lift bridge, which means one like the, uh, the, the train crossing over the Cape Cod Canal where you have a uh, the the span just simply lift straight up in the air, uh, um, supported by towers at either end. Those are chiefly the two designs that are being evaluated. Uh, we will have a better functioning bridge, but I don't want to pretend that it's just a you know snap your fingers in a couple of minutes and the bridge will be open and closed. Uh, 
So what we're engaged now in is the status uh, MassDOT has committed design money, uh, a bridge specialist uh, design firm, international firm based in Pennsylvania has been retained. They have a project team. They've had two local meetings. They're engaging in local meetings with those directly affected. They're checking with the Coast Guard, which has a big role here. And hopefully uh, in the second half of 2023, we'll have some preliminary results in terms of suggested design features. Along that path, uh, I was able to insert in our transportation bond bill this year $100 million of authorized funding for the project. The project ultimately will cost more than that, but what this means is monies can be spent on early items that uh, can improve the road in the area on either side and uh, um, short of completing the bridge, but it does allow if work is needed, early work to begin uh, going. So, so we have about a minute left here. Uh, oh, I apologize. That's okay. You, know, it's, it's, you see I get going on this. I'm, I'm learning so. that uh, I've been in newspapers so long. <laughs> newspapers is always, do you have space for, for this article? And in radio is, do you have time for it? So we have yeah. um, about 45 seconds here. Uh, so if the design is done the end of 2023, can you give us any ballpark as to when the, the, the build might be completed? And, we'll, and I'll, I'll throw in, uh, will it have a bike path uh, to Fairhaven over it? It, it definitely will. Uh, part of the, the design mandatory is to include a wider bridge decking service. So we'll have the four travel lanes. You have sidewalks now, but we'll also have a dedicated uh, travel way for what people call bike paths. Uh, I would say uh, if uh, design goes well, environmental issues go well, uh, it could be four or five years we'd start construction. I know that sounds frustrating, but we have to be patient to get a complicated bridge like this going. Four or five years before they start construction or, or four or five years to, yes. to, to do construction? Yes. Okay. All right. Well, I, I'm just glad that there's some movement on it at all. I've been here for 23 years and there's been very little movement. So I think um, progress is progress and we're glad to have it. Uh, State Rep. Bill Strauss has been my guest. Uh, uh, thanks so much for giving me all this time, Bill. I hope we've uh, enlightened um, uh, some of our South Coast listeners as to what you've been up to. I hope so, and my pleasure. Uh, glad to be here, Jack. Thanks, Bill. Good night. Good night. WB.